Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, I always count it as a privilege and a joy to be at the front and uh, mixed with emotions of panic and freaking out and worrying about whether I'm about to say is the, is the right thing. I'm glad that we're actually living in the New Testament times and not the old so that I'm not struck down in where I'm standing for, for bringing the wrong word. So we thank God for that this morning. Um, if you would just turn in your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Genesis chapter 3. This message this morning kind of comes from uh, verses 1 through 24, but we're going to focus on 6 and 7. So we'll start sort of reading from 1 through 7, uh, and then um, we will expand on that. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love to hear some pages being thumbed and turned. If you have your iPads, then you can sort of flick across the screen. It's not the same, is it? It's not the same. And if you've got your iPhones and smartphones, can you just turn them to silent so that we don't interrupt the word of God? So the book of Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, although the whole message kind of comes from 1 through 24, but we're going to focus on 1 through 7 this morning. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for the food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Amen. This morning I want to kind of investigate the topic of how we can involve God more in our decision making. Um, as Christians, when we kind of accept Jesus Christ into our, into our hearts and into our lives, we, we kind of are used to making decisions based on the things we see and hear and the people that we mix with and um, all those kind of the different things and different flavors and things that are in our lives at that time that contribute to the decisions that we make. Partly also the cultures that we grow up in. The people and cultures influence what you do and what you think and what you say quite a lot. Um, And also the desires that you have. The things that you sort of aspiring for or desiring for. uh, And all of these kind of mixed into a little bit of a pot. And and we kind of think, well, I've got to make decisions on this. And when stresses and situations come, how do we make decisions as Christians? Do, do, do we kind of leave it up to fate? Do we kind of think that there is a, some kind of a, oh, you know, quesera, uh, sarah, whatever will be, will be? Um, do we kind of have an attitude of, I will just pray at once, and then God's heard my prayer. There's nothing for me to do. I'll leave it in the hands of the Lord, and, and uh, whatever happens, happens. Um, 
how can we make wiser decisions? And so I just kind of want to unpack these, a few thoughts this morning on this uh, and bring to you seven thoughts that I've got or seven suggestions that I have on, on what we could uh, what we can do uh, each time that we've got contribution, uh, that we've got decisions to be making in our lives. Now, some of us this morning have have made uh, lots of decisions already. Some of us have been deciding what to have for breakfast. Uh, you know, what socks to put on. Um, I don't know, let me just check my socks, make sure. Yeah, they're matching, so I'm okay. I made a good decision there. Um, and uh, you know, some of us make good decisions and bad decisions day in, day out. Sometimes the consequences are immediate. Sometimes the consequences don't happen until some time afterwards. And it's only then that we kind of become aware of whether the decision was a good one or a bad one. Um, But I believe this morning, um, when we look at the book of Genesis and we read about Adam and Eve, and we see that they were faced with uh, something that God had said to them. He had said to them that, you know, I've I've given you, uh, I've, I've created this paradise for you. I've created... Uh, all of the uh, plants and all of the, the, uh, the fruit and, and all the foods of the garden that you can eat from, all the trees that you can eat from. And, and God has said this to Adam and Eve and said, you can have of all, any of these things, but, but of the tree, of the fruit of, of knowledge of good and evil, you shouldn't really eat. It was a commandment. It was an instruction. But God wanted to give mankind free will. He wanted to give us the ability to be able to choose to follow his instructions and live a life in relationship with him or to live a life separate from him, making our own decisions uh, by, by uh, leaving God out of the equation. And so if we look at this simple illustration and we translate that to our lives, that's often how we tend to make our decisions. A lot of the time we either involve God or we leave God out. And oftentimes when we involve God, things have a way of working out. We don't know sometimes how they've kind of worked their, their way out. But God knows his ways are higher than our ways. Amen? But if we leave God out of the equation, and we don't bring God into the equation, then there is, it's all down to, it's all down to how we are able to uh, manage all those difficult situations and, and decisions that we've got to make. Amen? It's then down to your ability. It's then down to your skill set. It's then down to your mind power, your knowledge, your experience. It's then down to the people that you're surrounded with. Uh, and and there, that is where your limitations will lie. So as a Christian, how can we improve our decision making to make it more godly or wisdom filled? Now, I believe that we are going to double services soon, so I'm going to try and crack on with these seven points as quick as I can. There are seven points, seven suggestions that I'm going to try and rattle through as quick as I can. I promise I'll be as fast as I can. The first of these points is prayer. Everything should always begin with prayer. When we become Christians, we, uh, we, we kind of transition from a life of not knowing God and not involving God to actually being aware of God and knowing Jesus and inviting Jesus into our lives. And it seems fundamentally crucial that when you make that decision 
to involve Jesus in your life, to be forgiven of your sins, to recognize him as the author and the perfecter of your faith, that at that particular point, you are kind of engaging in a covenant with God saying, yes, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to have a dialogue with you. Everything about my life I want to share with you. Everything about my life I want to be open with you. Because, Lord, you have been open with me. You've given me all the instructions that I need right here. And, uh, and I should not be shy of that. I should not be afraid of that. But I should involve you in every aspect of my life. And so prayer is a fundamental part of the Christian life and the Christian decision-making. We know that God has plans for our lives, plans to prosper us, plans not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And if we know that God is, is, is orchestrating things for our lives like this, does, does it not make sense that we should kind of go to him and want to have that dialogue with him? Especially if we sort of having thoughts about what do I do here? What should I do here? Should I do this job? Should I go apply for this job? Should I, should I, uh, you know, should I get involved with this guy or for the, with this woman? Is, you know, is she right for me? Is he right for me? Um, you know, is, is this group of friends over here, are they right for me? Uh, all these kind of things that contribute to us and how we grow and develop as a Christian, as a, a disciple of Christ, um, should really have a dialogue with God. And so if we turn to our first scripture this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through to 18. And they're writing to the, they're writing to the Thessalonian church, obviously, you know, encouraging them, trying to uh, encourage them in, in terms of the faith and with the cultures and things that they're challenged with. And, and the writer puts it like this. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen? Amen. That when we open up to God and we say, thank you, Jesus, for, him, for, for loving me, for taking the punishment for me, for, for allowing me to be free, to be set free from sin. At that point, we should engage and say, I'm now going to invite you into every aspect of my day. And the Bible encourages us to pray without ceasing. The Bible also says that in the book of James, chapter 1, so if we go back a few pages, sorry, no, forward a few pages to the book of James. It's just before First Peter. Book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen. So when you find yourself sitting here this morning and you've got decisions to make about your life, your career, your family, your friends, every, any and every aspect of your life, how are you starting that process? And the Bible encourages us to have that dialogue with God. Let's go back to our maker. Let's go back to the creator of all things, who knows all things, who knows every hair on your head. And let us, let us ask him. Let's talk to him. Let's bring him in and involve him in to every part of our day. Amen? So the first point is prayer. I told you I'd be quick. The second point this morning, define the issue. Define the issue. And this is something that um, 
sometimes I've, I've met quite a few Christians. It's not just young Christians. It's 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 older Christians as well. People, Christians have been quite for, you know Christians for quite some time. But if we're not careful, we fall into that trap of thinking I've prayed it, I've put it before the Lord, and therefore it's dealt with. But one of the things I would encourage you is to become better informed about the situation, the decision that you've got to make, the options that are, that are available to you. Because, again, as part of that process, you can pray those to God and you can ask God, these are my options. This is the homework that I've been doing. This is what I've been looking at. Um, you know, please help me to find the right answer, the right solution. But if you haven't got anything to present to God and you haven't done anything, then you're kind of, you're not demonstrating any degree of maturity or or level of maturity about your situation or the decision that you've got to make. As parents, we obviously have our little toddlers that grow up and they become teenagers. I have a son now who's becoming 11 who thinks he's about 18. And, And there are times where he... We, we ask him to do things, and we ask him to, to demonstrate his level of independency, his maturity, his ability to do things for himself. And at other times, we are fully aware that he's not quite capable of doing these things, and so we obviously help him out and support him in that process. And so, as part of our decision-making, we also need to make sure that we are demonstrating to God that we are mature enough to, when we face difficult situations or decisions to make, that we are mature enough to look at the options and see what's available. It's, it's, it's foolishness and folly that you wouldn't try to understand the problem that you're facing before you first try to deal with it. Let's take an example. From the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Do you remember Joshua? Uh, who was a military leader, and uh, one of the one of the things that he did when he became a military leader was that he had to go to uh, go into battle. Obviously, as a military leader, that's one of the necessary things of those days that they had to do. It was always a possibility, and at that particular time, they were having to go into battle. But what was his first thing that he did? And we go to chapter two, verse one of the book of Joshua. And it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, you don't need to apply all that. When you're making decisions, you don't need to go and find the house of the harlot. (laughs) Amen. I pray over you right now, do not go and find any harlots. Lord, I am not giving them the word to go and find any harlots in Jesus' name. (laughs) But he sent out scouts to go and view the land. And I would say to you this morning, with the decisions that you are making, go and view your land. Look at your problems, look at your options, look at who's got the skill sets, look at who is able to support you. Don't make any immediate impulse decision, but lay it before God and say, Father, these are the things that I've seen. These are the things that I've, that I've heard. These are the things that I've been discussing. These are my options. I have gone and viewed the land. 
it is foolishness for, for uh, particularly in those days, for any uh, army to go into battle having not surveyed the land. Why? Because back in those days, there would have been uh, landscapes which were mountainous, and there would have been valleys, and there would have been pitfalls, and there would have been traps. There would have been armies that have strengths with horses, and strengths with uh, archery, and all sorts of things. And it's only knowing how your enemy is resourced, equipped, and managed, that you would see what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, and you try to expose them. And so when you are looking at your options and all the things that you've got to make decisions on, you need to lay them out before you and you need to see what resources you have got. You need to see what options you have got, what strengths you have got. Amen? And you need to present them before God. So define the issue. Proverbs says that a wise man will hear and increase learning. A wise man will hear and increase learning. Don't be like the fool. Don't be foolish and think that once I've prayed it and given it to God, that's it, taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. It's off my desk. It's off my table. It's out of my mind. It's out of sight. It's not like that. We have a part to play and God orchestrates. Amen? Third, seek wisdom. Sometimes this is where we also stop. We kind of pray, we have a little bit of a look at what we're doing, but then we we kind of think, well, the Bible's not really going to offer me much support for this particular issue or for this particular challenge or for this particular problem. And one of the things that I would say here is, and you know, this kind of popped into my head yesterday, don't meditate on the problem, elevate the problem. Elevate it to the word of God. Elevate it to the written word of God. Don't just put it in prayer. Don't just look at the issue, but also match it against the written word of God. Because the written word of God is not, he's not going to contradict himself. What, what sensation or, ooh, you know, the, the Lord has spoken to me and he's told me to go and get this job. Or the Lord has spoken to me and he's told me to go and marry this girl. Or the Lord has spoken to me and he's told me that I've got to hang out with these group of friends. But I get that sensation in my belly, the quiver in my liver, and all that sort of stuff. But if you match it against the written word of God, he will never contradict himself. So if your feelings and your sensations are contradicting what the word of God is saying, I've got, I've got a word for you this morning, my brother and sister. It ain't the word of God. Amen? It ain't from the spirit of God. If it contradicts his written word, it is not of God. Amen? So when you're making decisions and you've got challenges and you've got trials and you're trying to work out at that fork in the road, this way or that way, consult the written word of God. If we look at Psalm 119 verse 105, 105. Psalm 119 verse 105. I love this. We're all walking a pathway. The Bible says that, I think it's the book of Matthew, wide is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction and many take this. Narrow is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to righteousness and few take it. The Bible says here in Psalms 119-105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
When you've got decisions to make and you're not sure which path to take, which route to go down, do I make it this way or this way? When you're at that fork in, your, uh, the, fork in, the, in the road of your, of your life and you're trying to make that decision as to how you're going to progress, how you're going to move forward, consult the written word of God. Seek wisdom, biblical wisdom. Interestingly, we, um, I'll tell you a little story. It's the first time it's actually kind of happened to me at a, at a, at a, a kind of a business level, I suppose. But we were, um, we were in a meeting the other day. And for those of you who don't know, I, I kind of work with a, a few directors of a, of a business. Um, I'm kind of a shareholder in the company. But one of the things that we were, were doing was we were in this meeting and we were discussing the progress of the company. And we were looking at where it was going over the coming few months. And there was opportunity for us to look at another business that might potentially need to be taken over. And so we, we've got the accountants in and they're showing us the financials. They're going through the financial reports of this, of this performance of this other business. We're looking at all the employment stats. We're looking at all the wage bills. We're looking at all the expenses. We're looking at the turnover of the company. We're looking at all the facts. We're looking at all the figures. And I don't know where this came from. I really believe it came from the Holy Spirit. But we're here in this meeting and they're saying, okay, yeah, no, uh, we, we got all the facts. Yeah, no, that's fine. And then everyone kind of turned to me to see what I was going to say. And I just looked at them all. I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I've got to go and pray on this. And I've got to go and ask the Lord. And they all kind of sat there for a second and looked at me. <laughs> and, then, and then one of them just said, well, you go and talk to the Lord and you go and tell him what he tell you. You go and tell us what he's told you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so don't be don't be discouraged when it when you've got these decisions to make. And don't don't be sort of when you've you know, consulting the Bible, the written word, when you're praying about it. Don't be embarrassed to stand up for what you believe in. That boldness came out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> I have never done that in a business meeting, ever. But I thank God for it. (laughs) Amen. The fourth thing, when we're making decisions and how we can make wiser decisions as, you know, disciples of Christ, I believe is to surround ourselves with godly counsel. Amen. The Bible says that, that when the people that we hang out with, the people, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, the people that we hang out with, the people that we move with, um, can influence the things that we say and the things that we do. Uh, and, and can, to some degree, draw us away from God or draw us closer to God. Amen? And so we need to be very, very uh, aware and careful of the people that we're moving with. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to uh, keep absolutely everybody who isn't a believer and isn't a faithful follower of Christ out of your life. Because if you do that, then um, how are you going to reach? How are you going to be the salt on the earth, uh, the, the salt on the light of this earth? How are you going to influence people? How are you going to demonstrate the grace and the love of God and the meekness of Jesus? How are you going to demonstrate that if you have no uh, social circles of these people in your life? So yes, you, can, you need to have these people around you and with you. And um, sometimes their professional knowledge and experience far supersedes what, what I've got or what you've got. 
But, and, and God can use that, but we also need to be very aware of what they are saying and what they are doing and how they are living so that it doesn't affect and rub off on you. You need to be strong enough to resist those things. Amen? And, and being in the presence of godly people, fellowship with Christians, fellowship with believers, this is one of the reasons why uh, fellowship like this is vital for each and every one of us because we go out there in the world and we do the things that we're doing. We're working with people that don't know Jesus Christ and sometimes their thoughts and the, the reasons behind what they do and the motives that they have behind the things they do are kind of questionable. And you sort of think, well, I understand that it's not really harming anyone, but it's still not right by God. Amen? And so we need to, we need to bear that in mind. Um, but if we turn to the book of Proverbs 15.22. Proverbs 15.22, it says here, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Amen? The counsellors in this case, I'm proposing that they would be pastors, teachers, leaders, ministers, prayer team, pastoral team, fellow brothers and sisters. People who uh, have, we all come from different professions and different walks of life. We all have different experiences, but the one common factor, the one commonality is we all love Jesus Christ. We are all aspiring to be godly. We are all aspiring to follow the statutes, the laws. We're also trying to be like Christ. We're trying to be like Jesus. We want to be little Jesuses. Amen. And so if we can make sure that when we have decisions to make, don't be afraid to, to talk to people that are within your Christian fellowship. And if that's, you know, if you're visiting here today and, and, you know, this isn't your church and you come from a different church, then, you know, go and find someone who you can trust in that church. Go and have a word with the pastor there. Go and talk to them. Go and find another minister, someone who you know and someone who you trust. And talk to them. Because different viewpoints, again, contributes and helps you to understand what options are available to you. And what God can, can bring to you through somebody else. Amen? The fifth point this morning. Trust God. It's a very, very simple thing. So simple that... Sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we forget that God is the perfecter of all things. Sometimes we forget that God is kind of working in the scenes, in the background. Just because he's not in your face all the time, performing signs, miracles and wonders, doesn't mean he's not there. The Bible says that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Amen? And when we consider that he will never leave you and never forsake you, it means that the Holy Spirit is always with you. He's in you. He's beside you. He's listening to every conversation you have. He's listening to every uh, fellowship you have. He saw you. The heavens saw you walk into church this morning. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I hope they didn't see me driving. (laughs) They probably did. 
But we need to trust God. Because God is so aware of everything that you are going through. He's aware of your decisions. He's aware of the consequences of your decisions. He knows what you've chosen to do in the past. And he knows what you're going to choose to do. Amen? He knows. So all we need to do is involve him and trust him. If, if, if we look at Proverbs 3, 5, 6, you don't need to go there. But if we look at this scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, it's, it's, it says that trust in the Lord and lean not unto your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Amen. Trust in God. If, if, if you start the process and you pray and you seek and you look at the options and you weigh things up and you speak to godly people, you make an appointment to see your pastor, you speak to your fellow brother or sister, and you kind of, you're sort of thinking, I kind of, I kind of know that God is in this, but I'm, I'm not really sure. You know, be confident. Trust in the Lord. And don't lean into your own understanding. The thing is that we... we we're governed a lot of the time by our senses. You know, the things we see, the things we hear, the things we taste, the things that we touch. We, we rely a lot on our physical senses. And sometimes if it doesn't quite make sense, we don't, we don't quite see God in it. But like I said at the beginning, his ways are higher than our ways. Amen. And so what doesn't quite make sense to us makes sense to God. Because he's already weaving it through. Amen. Number six. How am I doing for time? Be self-aware. Be self-aware. And what I mean by this is be willing to admit mistakes. Be willing to admit. One of the biggest problems that, that... different people have on different levels, is pride. And when we've made a mistake, we become ashamed. A bit like we read in the book of Genesis at the beginning, they became ashamed of themselves. They, they recognized that they were naked and they, they covered themselves. And that's what we do with our lives if we're not careful. We make mistakes. We make incorrect decisions. We feel the consequences to those decisions. And what we end up doing is we end up hiding, pretending, lying to ourselves and lying to God. That I've made the mistake. And we we spend the rest of our lives, five years, ten years, fifteen years, pretending to ourselves that we never made a mistake. It wasn't our fault. I didn't argue with that person. I didn't make that decision. It was her fault, not mine. I ain't talking to her. I am not forgiving her. She's to blame. And so you can't move on. And it becomes a thorn in your flesh. And so this morning, one of the other things that we need to be considerate about is the fact that we are only human. Just say that to yourself right now this morning. I'm only human. I make mistakes. But God is gracious to forgive. And I need to forgive myself. Amen? Be honest with yourself. Know your skills. Know your limits. Know how far you can go with something. If something is beyond your ability, you don't have the time, the resources to, to work on that situation. Don't try to, to 
push your, put, you know, put too much on yourself to the point where you're at breaking point. And I mean, by that, I mean breaking point where you are not involving God. You are not, uh, you are not fellowshipping. You are not uh, seeking God anymore. You, you, you're looking at your situation and thinking, I can't do this. Last time I fell. Last time I couldn't do this. I'm weak. I'm, I'm pathetic. I'm incapable. I'm, I can't do this. And if, if you say those things, the words that escape your lips, the things that occupy your mind are the things that you will dwell on. Amen? But the Bible says that we shouldn't, with, with, with the tongue, with the words of the tongue, when they come out, they are power. They are life and death. And if you speak it, if you so much as think it in your mind, you are giving life to something that has no right having any life, in your, uh, any life at all. Amen? So be aware and honest of your weaknesses, but don't let that drive fear in you. Don't let that drive fear in you. Because if that happens, then that will dry up the well of God in you. That will dry up your desire to seek God and to find what's right. How do, when I'm making these decisions, am I making them with God or without God? And you, if you feel so fearful, you will not want to be in the presence of God. And you will start to hide yourself. Because I've made mistakes, I can't do this, this is beyond my ability. And all of a sudden, you will not want to proceed. But the will of God for your life might be saying, go, do this, go this way, go this path. But you're thinking, I can't, I'm incapable. So when you're making, uh, you know, when you're making decisions involving God, be self-aware. Know your limitations, but at the same time, know that you are more than an overcomer. Amen. More than an overcomer. At Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Let's look at this. Let's just let's just get this into our hearts as well this morning. Proverbs twenty four, verse sixteen. For a righteous man may fall seven times. Who here has fallen seven times? Amen. Yeah, yeah. I've fallen more more than seven times. And rise again. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. Although we may fall seven times, we will rise again. Amen? So although you made a mistake then, it doesn't mean that you are going to continuously make the mistake, provided you are aware of it, you are aware of your limitations, you are aware of your weaknesses, you are aware of your strengths, you are involving God in the process. Amen? And all of a sudden, you find yourself more than an overcomer. Because you are not dictated to by your past. You are dictated to, if that's the right use of the word, but you are steered by the will of God. And finally, point seven this morning. Be thankful. This is one of those ingredients in our decision making that sometimes we... We don't quite carry through right to the very end of what happens. And, and in some instances, what happens is when we have decisions to make and we pray and we seek God and we surround ourselves with people, the amazing thing is that God moves mountains. He shifts valleys. 
He makes a way through the desert place. He makes the crooked places straight. All because he loves you and all because he wants to direct your path. All because he wants you to rise again. All because he wants you to be victorious. Because he wants you to be the head and not the tail. He wants you to be above and not beneath. And all of these things he does for you. Oh, how I am amazed. I'm amazed. The testimonies, the victories that you have had, count them, look at them. Recall how God has brought you through. But in the end, we need to be thankful. Amen? We need to be thankful. No man receives anything unless from heaven. The book of John, chapter 3, verse 27. No man receives anything unless from heaven. Everything that you receive, everything that you're blessed with, everything that you're withheld from, it all comes from God. Because it is designed not to destroy you, not to bring you down, but it is to lift you up. It is to make you more than a conqueror. It is to allow you to make decisions involving God, involving the, the creator of all things, your heavenly father. In that process. And just like Adam and Eve. There are consequences to our choices. There are consequences to the things that we choose to do. Sometimes, like I said at the beginning, they can be felt immediately. Sometimes they are so trivial, we don't even feel the pain from them. Sometimes the choices we make can lead to catastrophe. There are people who walk around the streets of Cambridge. They have no home. They're addicted to drugs. They're addicted to alcohol. There are each and every one of us sitting here this morning has facing consequences to decisions that we made when we were just students. When we were youngsters. I've shared with you quite a while ago about when I was younger, the kind of family home I grew up in. It wasn't a terrible family home. It was a lovely family home, really. But it it had, like every other family, it had its fair share of issues. But when I was 16, I made a decision to confront my father and to have a go at him about the way that I felt that he had raised us. Now, what, what, what background did I have to confront him and tell him that he was a bad father? But I lived with the consequences of that for many, many years. Because my relationship with my dad, at least the way I felt it and experienced it, there was a great big chasm between the pair of us. And it felt irreparable. And you know, that was until Christ got hold of me. Amen. Because when God gets on the inside of your circumstance, and when God gets inside of your decision making, he turns things around. He makes you do things or encourages you to do things that you wouldn't necessarily do. When the rest of the world would say, treat them like this, you say, no, I'm going to love them. Amen? I'm to, I'm to blame. I was wrong. But I'm still going to love him. And sometimes we are living with the consequences of financial decisions that we are making. 
Maybe we become impulsive. Maybe we don't manage our finances so well. Maybe no one has taught you how to look after your finances. Maybe that's a skill set that you don't yet have. But do you know that if you become aware of these things, you can change things today. You can involve God into this process and surround yourself with the right counsel, with the right people that can help you in your financial situations. That's a decision that you can make today. Let's not be like Adam and Eve. Ashamed to the point of hiding from God. Let's not be like Adam and Eve. When we go to the verses 22-24, we see that God banishes them from the garden. Why? Because he wants to protect them. He banishes them from the garden because he's not punishing them as, as, as much as we would think that, that he is. He's protecting them because he doesn't want them to live eternally in their current state. He says they are now like us. So let us move them out of the Garden of Eden. Because by being in the Garden of Eden, they are going to eat from the tree of eternal life. And if they eat from that tree, then they're going to live in this current condition, this state of sin forever. So he had to move them out. He had to shield the garden. He put a flaming sword there. If you read Genesis, you'll see this. The closing verses of of that chapter. Why did he do that? Because he loves them. He allows us to experience the consequences enough so that we know that the decisions that we make without him are the wrong decisions. Amen? Let us just stand to our feet. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.